0: All right. Some games are alright, some games are good, some games ascend to greatness Whether it's a personal story, whether it's a cup final, whether it's a nail biter whether it's a an nine-goal humdinger or a superb individual performance as it is today, every great game has a great story. I am Jake from What If Football. I thank you for donating to this Patreon page. And this is the 16th episode of The Great Games Podcast, where we have Andrei Shevchenko working his magic at the New Camp, Barcelona versus Dynamo Kiev, from 1997 in the Champions League. Let us get stuck straight in. Without further ado, before we kick off today, let's have a look at the Patreon schedule for this week. We, of course, had a What If Weekly podcast on Friday, and Monday, as we will do on Friday again. And we have a superbly Brazil-themed head-to-head coming up tomorrow, as well as a mailbag on Thursday. So with all that out of the way, we do have, of course, a return to the podcast on the Sports Social Podcast Network. You may have seen an episode of Ranked Go Up Earlier on in the podcast feed dropping into your inbox there, the 20 greatest German footballers in Premier League history. We have also got the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast coming up tomorrow. And of course, the Barclays keeps coming. The third episode of the second season, the 1993-94 term coming up into your ears on Friday afternoon. So without further ado, let's get stuck into Dynamo Kiev, shall we? Best time to jump into this head first is probably October 1973, Soviet Union. Dynamo Kiev hire Valery Lobanovsky as their manager. Now, Lobanovsky had taken Dnipro from the Ukrainian regional leagues to sixth in the Soviet top league, which was full of superb teams at the time. Georgia Georgia were represented by the likes of Dynamo Tbilisi. You've got Ukrainian teams, you've got Russian teams, you've got Armenian teams the lot all of them were in the soviet top league around this time and whilst at dynamo kiev lobanovsky wins the top league and the soviet cup double in 1974 which quirkly enough didn't grant them access into the european cup um slight political wrangling probably with moscow on that one Um, but the cup winners cup followed in 1975 for dynamo kiev beating frank varos which for the time in the 1960s and 70s were a top top team of hungarian football of course Making a little bit of a resurgence recently, aren't they? Lobanovsky took Dynamo Cave to as far as they could go, far as they've gone in the European Cup. They got to the, the quarterfinals in 1976 against Saint Etienne, who, of course, went on to reach the final against Bayern Munich. And then in 1977, went one step further, but unfortunately lost to Borussia Munch Gladbach in the semi finals. And Gladbach, of course, went on to lose to Liverpool. Liverpool Dynamo Cave would have been one hell of a game. Now, I'm going to apologise to Ukrainian listeners for the following pronunciations here, and throughout, of course. So this Dynamo Kiev team, the first iteration of a Lobanovsky, Dynamo Kiev team had the likes of Rudaykov in goal. You've got Bezanov at right back. You've got a superb defence of Sergei Baltasha, who would play for, for 12 years. He played 245 league games up until 1988. You've also got in there mikolai You've got Anatoly Konkov at central midfield. You've got Vladimir Muntayan at midfield, playing 302 league games spread across 12 years for Dynamo Kiev, a one-club man. And Leonard Boyak at midfield as well. Another three hundred and four games spread across eleven years for Boyak there. And up front, Oleg Blok, the the star man, played from nineteen sixty nine to nineteen eighty eight for Dynamo Kiev. Two hundred eleven goals, four hundred and thirty two games. Of course, the winner of the Ballon d'Or the year Dynamo Kiev won the Cup Winners' Cup in the year Soviet Union made their well most recent European Championships final in 1972, three of the five Dynamo Kiev lads named in that Soviet squad played in the final. And around these times when Lobanovsky was um, guiding Dynamo Kiev to greatness, the Soviet team was populated with quite a lot of, um, of Dynamo players. They would evolve, Lobanovsky come back after uh, a few years away, managed the the Soviet side at the 1982 World Cup. Dynamo would finish 7th and 10th in his absence, but he would return, make his grand return in 1985, winning the league and cup double once more. And then what followed, perhaps their their greatest ever achievement really, the 1986 Cup Winners Cup Final, a 3-0 victory over atletico madrid i think that gets more coverage because of who they beat in the final as opposed to frank varos 11 years prior despite frank varos probably being almost of the ilk of atletico madrid of course 1974 atletico madrid got to the champions league final at european cup finals It was then known but i think this the the manner of the win as well and the the likes of oleg blunkin up front I think it just takes, I think it just gets that little bit more prominent in people's minds. Obviously, it's more recent as well. The league would follow in 1986, and following Baltasar and Blonkin, who's, who, who were in the squad for the 1975 Cup Winners' Cup fan, you've got the likes of Oleg Kutskinov played up until 1990 and then went off to Rangers, of course. And then you've got uh, Dama Yanenko, who played in two spells, in 79-91 to 91, with primarily his um, first spell, and then 92 to 93. 20s career, playing 345 league games for Dynamo Kiev from left-back. Vasily Ratz as well, of course, played uh, one of the superb members of the Soviet Union side of the 1988 European Championships, played for Dynamo Cave 164 times in the Soviet League between 1981 and 89. You've also got Alexander Zavarov From um, 1983 to 1988 until he went to Juventus. You've got, um, again, apologies for this one. I'm going to butcher this one. Mikhailachenko, uh, 1981 to 1990, in the sort of number 10 position, went on to then play for Sampdoria and Rangers played uh, 137 times. And you've got Igor Belanov, 1985 to 89, And they were represented well, as I say, in the Soviet Union. 11 of the 20 players that uh, Lobanovsky admittedly took to uh, euro 88 11 of those 20 where dynamo kiev players, of course and seven of those played in the final against the netherlands lobanovsky would sign off um for the last for the uh, the next time for dynamo kiev with a double in 1990. now dynamo kiev obviously the soviet union dissolu- dissolved and the dissolution meant that dynamo kiev would then play in the ukrainian league they wouldn't win the league in the first season in 1992, but then the uh, the change in the calendar from from uh, to match the Western leagues from the 92 93 season onwards. Dynamo Kiev dominated. To put it bl- bluntly, they won the Ukrainian league in 1993, 1994, 1995, 1996, 1997. They won it by goal difference in 93. Then that graduated to seven points, ten points, six points, eleven points. And to put it in perspective, they lost in, across five seasons, those five title winning seasons, they lost just 12 times. And on three occasions, they lost only once. So these are, those are domineering numbers right there. They beat the likes of Kapati Lviv, 2-1 in 1993. And again, apologies, Nivya Vanecchia, 2-0 in 1996. To team those league titles up with doubles in the Ukrainian domestic uh, leagues. Dynamo Kyiv returned to the welfare, of course. Valery Lobanovsky's third reign in 1997. After um, it was uh, quite clear that they were they were dominating in, in Ukraine, yes, but they would suffer in Europe. I think they were pushed. They pushed Barca all, all the way. the obviously, the European Cup had now become the newfangled Champions League. Um, in the early stages, the formatting was having a bit of tweaks. They'd have a couple of rounds before getting into the like 18 group stages. And in the 1994 year, Dynamo Kiev were the only team to um, beat Barcelona up until the final, of course. This is Johan Cruyff's Barcelona, the dream team. They've got a 3-1 winning Kiev, but ultimately the uh, return to the new Camp ended in defeat, a 4-1 defeat, which, of course, overturns the aggregate score. Um, Barcelona, of course, would then go on to be thrashed by Fabio Capello's immense Milan team in 1994's final, they would get through the groups, get through to the groups in nineteen ninety four, ninety five season, but embarrassingly lost all but one game—a three two win against Spartak Moscow—and then finished bottom. They would qualify again for the groups in nineteen ninety five, beating Panathinaikos in the very first game. Seemed to be going so well, but but then they were expelled, accused of bribing the referee, and Alborg, who they beat in the uh, qualifiers, took their place, which is um, unprecedented, really. And then Alborg. Then beat Panathinaikos, but ultimately didn't qualify for the knockout phase. As a result, then their their expulsion would would be a one year ban, but that would be reduced. They would bow out in the qualifiers in 1996. But then we reached the 1997 1998 tournament. What helped Dynamo Kiev or helped teams like them is that the Champions League opened up to 24 teams, but it also meant that because of Ukraine's coefficient being obviously a new nation. Dynamo Cave had to start from the bottom around this time. They had to go through two qualifying rounds. Um, there were only two qualifying rounds back then. They had to go through them both. So that meant a trip to, of course, Barry Island <laughs> of all places. Imagine Shevchenko just rocking up at Barry Island. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, that's in South Wales, a wonderful part of the world. I've been there a few times. Um, Dynamo Cave won 6 0 in the aggregate. Scotland <laughs> in the first qualifier, obviously. And then, admittedly, beat an impressive Bromby team 4 2 in Denmark um, and then qualified for the groups. And given their footing in Europe, 1986 was evaporating in the memory, of course, is a completely different team. They had a tough group. They've got PSV, Newcastle, Barcelona. But in this team, you have got another Mikalenko, You've got Oleg Luzny, um, the captain at fullback. And you've got Sergei Redbrov. And of course, the main man, what we're here to see today, Andrei Shevchenko. So he started playing in the second team in 1993, the second team at Dynamo at the time, were playing in Ukraine's first league, Um, would make his debut in 1992-93 season, then obviously played for the second team throughout the following two seasons before breaking into the senior side in 1994. Didn't have the best goal scoring, start scoring just one goal in 17 games, probably mainly substitute appearances there, but the following season, 95-96, that was his coming out party, 16 goals in 31 games in the league, Less so in 96, 97, but returned to prominence in his final two seasons in Ukraine, and we get 19 goals in 23 games in league in league form in the 97, 98 season. You have got a goal per game in the cup, and then back in the Champions League, after achieving the double, you've got five leagues in a row. The dominating Andriy Shevchenko is having a party in Ukraine, but let's go back to 1994 for a second. You've got Barcelona at the top of their game, as I said, getting thrashed by an immense Fabio Capello, Milan side. And this is sort of the beginning of the end for the dream team. Obviously, Johan Cruyff had dominated Spanish football. they would won back to back to back league titles. They'd won the European Cup, the final ever European Cup in 1992 against Sampdoria, their first title um, as a team. Obviously, they've then since gone on to. Uh, to win bucket loads, obviously. And um, this all started because of Johan Cruyff, of course, the, the process there. Uh, Pep Guardiola in the midfield, famously, of course, the reliance on uh, the academy, tearing it all up. But it ultimately, at the start, uh, the beginning and at the end of Cruyff and then his successes, they wouldn't be ultimately the instant success from this tearing up of the, of the playbook by Barcelona, really. They finished fourth, wouldn't qualify for the Champions League in 1995, wouldn't qualify as defending champions because it would be defeated at the quarterfinals at the hands of an up-and-coming PSG side who've performed quite well in the Cup Winners' Cup as well. You may remember, if you're of that age, of course. Cruyff around this time, the three foreigner rules still in play in 95, 96. He made an absolute mockery of that. So you've got likes of Georgie Hadji, Romario, Haristo Stoichkov, Ronald Kuman Jordi Cruyff, of course, his son, and Igor um, all in the squad. So you got um, double the quota there, and that was really—I think that was a lot of the ills. Really, And you obviously had the loud drops beforehand in 1994 that left um, after being ruled out, ruled out because the, the too many foreigners in the team. Um, obviously, this rule be ditched um, shortly after Johan Cruyff left. Of course, in 1996, they failed in the UEFA Cup semi-final to the eventual winners, Bayern Munich. They lost to Atlético Madrid in the Copa del Rey final, and ultimately, again in La Liga, fell short again. Carlos Hatch patched things over until Bobby Robson came in and and Bobby Robson only had one year, but it was a successful one at least. Um, Copa del Rey, Cup Winners' Cup, back on top in Europe. Ronaldo proved a hit to say the least, but he was gone um, within a year, of course. And the foreigner rule was gone, as I say. You've got the Portuguese trio: Vito Baia, Luis Vigo, Fernando Couto, all coming over from Portugal, along with Bobby Robson, of course, who um, at the time was managing the likes of Sporting Lisbon and Porto. And you have also have Giovanni and R- R- Ronaldo. Rivaldo would uh, replace Ronaldo, of course. Laurent Blanc and Robert Prozineski was there. And they would finish second. But with the expansion of the Champions League, as we said earlier, which, from 16 to 24 teams, this was now good enough to qualify back into the Champions League for Spanish teams, of course, and the likes of Italy and England and Germany because of the high coefficient and second would qualify them and they have to go through pre-qualifying, of course. Louis van Gaal, was in place. So Bobby Robson was moved upstairs out of, not really of his own will, really, there. But uh, Louis van Gaal would sign some big names. Rivaldo would come in. Sonny Anderson was superb. Uh, Michael and his compatriot, right back. The star names were in. And then in the nine, nine Liga games prior to the home tie with Dynamo Kiev, they'd won eight games, drawn one, and were top by an absolute mile. But... This group in the Champions League was not going Louis van Hal's way. Of course, Louis van Hal won the European Cup with Ajax in 1995, a superb team they had dominated Dutch football. Of course, going undefeated, then would win the Champions League, went back, lost the Champions League final to Juventus in '96. was trying to get back to that with um, with Barcelona here. But it didn't start too well, did it? Newcastle fans may remember Tino Aspria's hat trick sinking Barcelona 3 2 in the first ever match day there. Meanwhile, you've got the likes of Sergei Redbrov and uh, Andrei Shevchenko combining for Dynamo Kiev in a 3 1 win in, in Eindhoven against PSV. Barcelona having a 2 2 draw at home to PSV, whilst under similar circumstances, Dynamo Kiev would draw 2 2 against Newcastle, losing two late goals, unfortunately, there. Rebrov and Shevchenko scoring again in that game and this left after two games Newcastle and Dynamo Kiev in control of the group with four points each PSV and Barcelona would have one Newcastle's control obviously this was in a time where only one place was guaranteed for the, uh, for the knockout phase it was quarterfinals, no last 16 quarter finals and the next two best second place teams would follow them so it, it, it was a tussle to say the least, between the two. Newcastle's control diminished with a Vim Jonk goal in Eindhoven. They would lose 1-0 in Holland. there. Meanwhile, Dynamo Kiev battered Barcelona 3-0 in front of 100,000 Ukrainians in Kiev. So we've one's guaranteed spot in the quarterfinal up for grabs, you've got Dynamo Kiev on 7, Newcastle on 4, B.S.V. on 4 and Barcelona way, way back on one point. Barcelona needed a result desperately at home in this game that we're going to cover. To even stand a chance of qualifying. Meanwhile, the fixture at St. James's Park would go a long way to qualifying second if, if second place would qualify. And um, ultimately, it wouldn't. So just the one place up for grabs here in the Champions League group. So we'll get on to the match. Why not? Well, let's go into the match. In the Blaugrana corner, we've got Vita Baio, we've got Fernando Couto, we've got Oscar, we've got Luis Vigo, Giovanni, Rivaldo, Sergei, Kirich, Zeladez, Michael Reisinger, in number order, of course. Gleaning this from the UEFA website, they don't do formations. And in the white Kiev corner, and again, apologies to the great country of Ukraine, we've got Shakovsky, we've got Luzhny, we we've got Holokov, we've got Vashuk, we've got Dimitrulin, we've got Kaltinivistiev, we've got Kosovsky, um, again, I did say apologies, didn't I? Sevchenko, Rebrov, we've got Gushin, and we've got Kashkikevich. And let's discuss Shevchenko first. Wheeling away from the butchering of those Ukrainian surnames, Shevchenko was simply magnificent. Harry in defence is pinching it from the midfield. He was a good link-up play as well. He working the channels well. Kickstarting counter-stacks. Everything that you'd want a modern footballer, a modern central centre-forward, to be in 2021 Shevchenko, this is 1997. But his goals come from... Traditional centre forward play, let's say. The first goal, he rises like an absolute salmon from a free kick, and uh, the goalkeeper, Vito Baia, is absolutely nowhere the defence left standing here. The second goal is fairly similar, but it's from open play. He has to compete with Vito Baier here. He heads it almost out of his hands. Nowadays, I think that type of goal wouldn't stand, but here it does, and we're, we're, we're here. We're early in the first half. Dynamo Kiva 2 0 up in the new camp. Lou van Hal has a long way to go. There's three goals here to even sort of make a stab at qualifying for the quarterfinal here. And his third goal, Shevchenko's goal, is admittedly from the penalty spot. Just to say, we're still in the first half here. However, he does create the penalty himself. He runs through three or four Barcelona plays to win the penalty. Absolutely superb performance from the Ukrainian lad. He was at, he was at that all game, running through the defence. Barcelona just had no answer whatsoever. The, the, even though Barcelona had gone to Kiev, they'd lost a couple of weeks prior it seemed as though they were playing against him for the very first time and uh, he stunned them, absolutely stunned them. All of these goals come within the first half and very rarely, rarely does a player up and coming like this take a game by the scruff of the neck in a place like this. The new Camp, oh, of course Barcelona aren't the team they are now. They did have very recent history of getting to European Cup finals with quite regularity really, two of the last, you know, Five years they were in the European Cup final. Dynamo Kiev only well, been in two European finals themselves, and that, and then again, that was in the Cup Winners' Cup in the 70s and 80s. So, a long time ago, you're talking a, over a decade since their last sort of European triumph, or even close to a European triumph. And for Shevchenko to announce himself to the world like this, um, it was a very, very special game. And to be fair, a reason why I picked it for, for today. And we're coming up to the 24th anniversary, and of course, with Barcelona and Dynamo Kiev meeting in the Champions League this year fantastic. Obviously it wouldn't go the way of Dynamo Kiev at the new camp this year, but not um, not the route that you'd expect of recent years by Barcelona um, in twenty twenty one. Nor was it here. Shevchenko of course was um was Dynamo Kiev's primary threat, that has to be said. He was in the air, he was in the channels through the middle, um deep in the link up complete centre forward really. Um you got Chirich volleying high and wide for Barcelona as well as they they would do they did with regularity get half chances and I wouldn't call them chances Rivaldo was getting into good places he was was probably one of the only ones offering Barcelona to be out on the precipice of a threat not fully being a threat Figo as well was doing alright from the left he drove one over from distance Um, but Barcelona were restricted to these chances they were probably the best chance they had was Rivaldo heading in on the side netting with the uh, on the front post there and even that was quite a way back in the goalie had it covered um, Figo's chance was probably a bit close so it whistled over the bar um, Giovanni glanced across onto the post but but that won't be counted in the in the history books because it was offside um, so Barcelona not really having any joy whatsoever Oscar Fidge won wide again from distance so the the defence was really stacking up for Dynamo Kiev and they played absolutely superbly. For all the great stuff Shevchenko is doing um, up front, you did need the, the foundations to be great here as well. And then Barcelona's job gets a whole lot worse. Sergei gets sent off for a handball, two yellows in the middle of the pitch, I might add. So needless, absolutely needless, ridiculous. You'd never get that nowadays. <laughs> ridiculous. Arguably, they should have had a penalty in the second half, but by this point, the game's dead. Figo is getting slightly influential on the left, getting balls in, but... Um, not not much really. Rivaldo forces a save from the Dynamo Kiev goal. It probably one of the first ones he had to make from a free kick in the second half. So the chances are there. They just none of them are clear cut whatsoever. And even in, in and amongst this Dynamo actually have a goal disallowed. Goshing, um deemed to have fouled the defender. Meanwhile, Shevchenko didn't foul the goalkeeper. Very very bizarre really. Um, but Dynamo Kiev were always a lingering threat. Um, whilst Barcelona drip fred their chances through. Goshin was impressive in the air, forces buyer into another save. And from a Barcelona standpoint, the fourth goal is not unmitigated disaster. Bayer and his defender get mixed up 25 yards out from goal. This isn't the, the ball-playing goalkeepers that we have now. This is um, this is a walking disaster, really. Sergei Rebrov smashes into an open net from 25 yards. Out. It doesn't quite sum it up for Barcelona, but a good glimpse into how de- decisive and harrowing and the press, really, that Dynamo Kiev were chasing a lot of lost causes, mainly through the two small lads up front, Rebrov and Shevchenko, of course. After this we'll become household names across Europe and after this we'll be discussing what were the futures of Dynamo Kiev, Andre Shevchenko and of course Barcelona after this short break. Welcome back. What was in Dynamo Kiev's future? How would the group go? So within have the uh, up, up, under the build-up of match day five. Dynamo Kiev have 10 points. PSV got a win against Newcastle there on seven. Newcastle now Catanel's chance of qualification now with four points. Barcelona out on one point here. Dynamo Kiev had lost at St. James's Park, but thankfully had built up enough goal difference. And thankfully as well, PSV drew 2-2 with Barcelona. So PSV went out, not meeting the threshold as the best um, performing second place teams, whilst Dynamo Kiev progressed as the group winners. And who was waiting for them in the quarterfinals? And didn't have the look of the draw here, did Dynamo Kiev. Juventus. Juventus had been in the previous two finals, been in the previous three UEFA finals, if you extend that to the UEFA Cup as well, against Palmer in 1995. They whipped them 4-1 in the second leg. So, so the journey was over there for... Uh, for Lobanovsky for Dynamo Kiev but they would go again the following year 1998-1999 Andrei Shevchenko this time was top scoring in the Champions League and again unfortunately because of Ukraine's standing or despite <laughs> despite Dynamo Kiev's best efforts they had to go through two qualifiers to get through again and wouldn't you, wouldn't you know it it was another trip to Barry Island and uh, They got through that, of course. They get through the second qualifier and they take four points off both Lons and Arsenal and and Panathinaikos. again, legally this time beaten again. So, Dynamo Kiev qualifiers, group winners again. And who else but Real Madrid in the quarterfinals, again not facing the look of the draw, Dynamo Kiev. But things were different this time. Andrei Shevchenko scores an absolutely invaluable away goal in the Bernabeu against Real Madrid, who were, let's not forget, champions in 1998 and in the second half in Kiev... Shevchenko scores another brace, 3-1 on aggregate. And Dynamo Kiev are dreaming, again, the the replication of the 1977 European Cup when they uh, played Borussia Mönchengladbach, West German outfit, of course. This is their second semi-final in the European Cup. And who else do they face but another German outfit in Bayern Munich? Andres Shevchenko scores two goals in the home leg and um, the 3-1 up. Cruel goal to, to be fair to concede at the stroke of half time, and, and then even crueler, they fall to two late goals to draw. Bayern Munich now in the ascendancy. They go back to the uh, go back to Munich three three. They need a win. They, they need or a four four draw. Well, that's unlikely. Mario Basler, as he does in the final scores, scores in the second leg to make it four three on aggregate, and. Um, Dynamo Kiev are out and they haven't got to that stage in, a, in the European Cup ever since. Valery Lobanovsky, unfortunately, three years later, would die following a stroke he suffered at a Dynamo game in May 2002. And in a nice, neat little bow, lovely little ending, Andrei Shevchenko, the following year, wins the Champions League. And after winning the Champions League, puts his medal at Valery Lobanovsky's graveside. So... Dynamo Kiev, they would be successful in Ukraine without Shevchenko, with or without him, really. They'd win two titles immediately after. But, of course, as we know, in the 21st century, Shakhtar Donetsk would be inevitable. Dynamo Kiev, though, they still have still have a glut of league titles, 2003, 2004, 2007, 2009, 2015, 2016, 2021. That is seven if you were counting there, with, a, with four doubles interspersed in there, most recently, of course, this year in 2021. But when it comes to Europe, it's the same same sort of, affairs as the early 90s is little to no joy for them in Europe they'd qualify for the Champions League 13 times but ultimately be one of those teams that often are in the group stages of the Champions League often don't progress they get through to the first groups through the first group stage twice first unfortunately in 2000 that was obviously the the um the dawn of the two group stages in the Champions League, which is quite frankly ridiculous, um, but they would be edged out of the second group phase, only on head-to-head from Real Madrid. Bayern Munich were top, so that's an insane group, in it, really, in the second group phase. And then 16 years later, they would get through the group stage. This would be their first ever, first Champions League knockout match since the loss to Bayern Munich in 1999. With the likes of Andrei Yarmolenko and Junior Morias, they would beat Porter to the last sixteen. But then, unfortunately, Manchester City would would have their number on the way to losing to in a semi final of their own. In contrast, looking at other Ukrainian sides, you got Shakhtar Donetsk qualifying for sixteen group phases at this time, so there's quite clearly two very very good Ukrainian teams, isn't it, around this time in the twenty first century? But Shakhtar would get to four knockout phases as opposed to one of Dynamo Kiev. The furthest they got was again further than Dynamo Kiev a quarter final in twenty eleven where. The eventual winners, Barcelona eliminated them with uh, three of the last 16 exits, the likes of Borussia Dortmund in 2013, Bayern Munich again in 2015 and Roma in 2018. And and Shakhtar, of course, won the UEFA Cup in 2009, something Dynamo Kiev still haven't done, although, of course, um, their European record still is dwarfed by Dynamo Kiev's two uh, Cup Winners Cups in the 70s and 80s. They would, of course, in the 2009 semi-final, eliminate Dynamo Kiev on their way, which has kind of encapsulated the way it has gone in Ukrainian football, the, the, the power struggles there between the two clubs. And Dynamo Kiev have only reached the, the UEFA cup Stroke Europa League quarterfinal twice since Shevchenko departed. 2011 in a defeat to finalist Braga, and then in 2015 to Fiorentina and 2015 gallingly enough the, the year that another Ukrainian team got to the final, the Dnipro, of course, Lobanovsky's old club that he managed. So what about what about Andrei Shevchenko? Well, he got the double. He won the double in 1998. He got the top scorer, as we know, in the Champions League in 1999, alongside D- Champions League winner Dwight York, I may add, as a Man United fan. But then he was sold after that. $25 million dollars. Dynamo Kiev raked in August 28th, 1999, was his AC Milan debut. He wouldn't be successful immediately in terms of trophies. There was the dominance of Rome, Lazio winning the Serie A in 2001, Ro- Rome. Roma, of course, in 2001, sorry, Lazio in 2000. Then Juventus had success, then Inter Milan would dominate. Shevchenko, though, became one of only five players to win the Golden Boot in his first season in Serie A and then quickly followed the Champions League of 2003, as previously stated, scoring the winning penalty, no less, against Juventus, no less, at Old Trafford. Interspersed with that was the Coppa Italia for a cup double. And then the following year, Shevchenko's crowning year almost, um, Serie A title was won for AC Milan, their um, they're second to last as um, at the time of recording. And what followed for Shevchenko on a personal level, fantastic accolade with the Ballon d'Or and um, previous gripes about the Ballon d'Or, especially in this year. Check that out on other podcasts that I've done. And uh, 2005, of course, Shevchenko scored the vital penalty, had the vital penalty again in Istanbul, but this time he would miss and AC Milan would lose the Champions League after the miracle of Istanbul, of course. A year later, Shevchenko would be gone from AC Milan. Chelsea. And it must be categorized as a, a bit of a flop, underachievement, really, from Shevchenko. He won the League Cup and the FA Cup in 2007. Didn't really suit Chelsea. They already had Didier Drogba as a focal point up front, and arguably came at the club at the wrong time. Maybe his time was 2004 instead of Shev, instead of uh, Drogba, and maybe that would have been the perfect time for for Shevchenko at Stamford Bridge, really. But then he would go out on loan to back to Milan, um, playing 18 games without scoring in Serie A, far cry from his earlier form at the San Siro, and then closed out his career high, nicely enough with um, a three-year stint at Dynamo Kiev until 2012, and ultimately signed off with Ukraine at Euro 2012. Those would be his final games as a professional footballer. He played for his country between 1995 and 2012, playing 111 times. That is only dwarfed by Anatoly Timoshuk. He scored 48 times, and at the time of recording, he's Ukraine's record holder. But Yamalenko is creeping up on that ever so slightly with 44 and may, may possibly break it in the November internationals. Who knows? So around Shevchenko's time, Ukraine, obviously a, a relatively new country. They had a patchy record of actually qualifying for tournaments since um, the Soviet dissolution. Russia, to be fair, did as well. They, they would go out in the groups of Euro 96, Euro 2000, the World, Euro 2004, rather, the World Cup in 1994 and in 2002. Euro 2008 threatened to change that. They got to the semi-final, of course, powered by Roman Pavlyuchenko and Andrei Arshavin. But for Ukraine in this time, though, they had hard luck, let's be honest. In 1998, qualification for the World Cup they were edged out by Croatia in a playoff 3 1 on aggregate. For Euro 2000, they were odds on favourite to qualify ahead of Slovenia in the playoff, but got edged out 3 2 in the playoff on aggregate 3 2. And in 2002, they were fairly resoundingly beaten by Germany in the playoff 5 2 on aggregate. But finally, finally, as The Rock says, qualified for a tournament in 2006. Shevchenko scoring in Ukraine's first World Cup win, no less, 4 0 against Saudi Arabia, perfect antidote to the 4 0 defeat against spain in their first ever world cup match and then shevchenko would score the winner in the second half against tunisia to ultimately send ukraine through to the last 16 where they would probably play their part in one of the worst worst ever world cup games a nil draw with switzerland but ultimately they would progress on penalties and this quarterfinal would be as of the time of recording of course their joint record at a, a tournament equaled of course this summer when they reached the quarterfinals of the Euros, only to lose to, of course, England. Shevchenko got one last crack of tournament in 2012, hosted, co-hosted, of course, by Ukraine. So no playoff heartbreak there. They were already qualified. Shevchenko even scored the two winning goals against Sweden in the first ever game of, the, uh, of Ukraine's campaign at home. But then they would unfortunately lose to France on a sodden evening in Donetsk. They would lose to England, also in Donetsk, and crash out Shevchenko's final game the 1-0 defeat to England and Ukraine finished third in the group and Shevchenko's career as a result was over. Barcelona though in the meantime they would go from the failures of Louis van Gaal and others and enter into a bit of a new dawn with Frank Rijkaard and obviously the signing of Ronaldinho they would have like a cheetah, a very bright but brief spell at the top the 2006 Champions League for example is won in Paris but then That is slightly soured Ronaldinho and Deco's commitment to the cause perhaps um, come into question. Pep Guardiola, the academy manager, comes in. He uh, succeeds Frank Rancard and then, as we know, the rest is history. Implementing the ways of Johan Cruyff, implementing, utilising La The trio of Busquets, Xavi, Iniesta in midfield obviously goes without saying. Messi in a false nine position, which he works his way up to um, across the Champions League wins in 2009 and 2011. And Barcelona win their final Champions League to date in 2015 against Juventus in Berlin, coached by Luis Enrique, another product of Barcelona, of course, um, at least playing-wise, not here, um academy, academy-wise. But those are the stories of Dynamo Kiev and Barcelona. Dynamo Kiev ultimately very, very successful on this particular match, but divergent futures, of course, with the with the likes of Andrei Shevchenko firmly at the heart of it, both in this match and both in the future of Dynamo Kiev. We will be back next week with another great game and another fantastic Champions League group stage fixture. Episode 17 will come from the Principality of Monaco in 2003, where they play Deportivo. Seemingly a, an innocuous match to choose, but if you know you know, and I'll leave it at that. Thank you for listening, and until next time, see thee. Sports Social Podcast Network.